if you really, really loved your child with all your heart, with all your soul, that would be something that you would do every single day. God, would you help my children to love you? That's the greatest accomplishment for any parent, is to watch their children grow up and love God with all their hearts. Joshua chapter 24, and we're going to read a few verses together, and we're going to read verses 1 through 15, and to help me out, I'll read the odd verses, and you read the even verses, okay? And I'll read with you, but we join in together, and we'll give this a try here. And if you could stand with me as we read God's word, just out of respect for the Lord, Joshua chapter 24, and I'll begin reading in verse 1, and then you join me on verse 2 for the even numbers, and then I'll end on verse 15. The Bible says, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I, have, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. And I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought the sea upon them, and covered them, and your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt, and ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan. And they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, that ye might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. And ye went over Jordan, and came unto Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not. And ye dwell in them of the vineyards and oliveyards, which ye planted not do ye eat. Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, 
and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the god of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your word. Please bless this message that you've given to me. Lord, speak to my heart continually and allow me to portray what you've given me to say. Bless this service, we pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. I love a good story. How about you? Anybody here like a good story? I think everyone would raise their hand. We all appreciate a good story. I also appreciate and love telling a good story. So when, especially as a pastor or as someone who teaches, when you hear a good story, you keep it and you hold on to it and you save it for an opportune moment. Whether it's a fictional story, you could save it maybe when you're at camp, around the campfire, you've got a good story. Or maybe you've got a, a riveting, exciting story, you wait. Or maybe you wait till a conversation's dull and you got a, you got a story to tell. Or maybe you're one of those when you're meeting somebody for the first time. You've got a couple of stories about yourself you like to say. It makes them laugh and it's fun. Growing up, I used to hear lots of stories. And I don't know about you, but for me, there is something about hearing a story from Grandpa. From, I don't know if you, anybody can relate to this, but we lived not too far from Grandpa's house, but we didn't go over and see them uh, all the time. It was sort of a, a couple of times, uh, maybe once a month or something like that. But every time we'd come to their house around Christmas time, we'd always get to hear Grandpa's stories from when he was a kid. Because my dad's stories, they were cool and they were fun, but I lived with my dad. I heard those stories all the time. But Grandpa's stories, wow. And Grandpa, just the name Grandpa, just seems so far away. It seems like it's so far in history. Like I could look back in my history book and find my Grandpa. That's how I envisioned it as a kid. My Grandpa would tell these stories, and there was one story in particular that he would tell that I still... I'll never forget. Growing up, my grandpa was a very tall, he was a strong, strong guy. He grew up on a farm. Anybody can relate? Anybody here grew up on a farm? Maybe from the Philippines, something? We have a few hands over there. I know I've talked to many of you, you have. Grew up on a farm. Uh, the, the farm he grew up on it was real heavy labor. So he grew up being one of the taller, stronger kids in his school. And everybody knew him as, well, his nickname was Heavy. And he wasn't necessarily that heavy. He was just solid. He was, he, he was, he was heavy, I guess. He was strong. And Grandpa was always known for being a healthy person. Well, uh, in his, uh, I believe it was his early 30s, he got married to who I call Grandma. And uh, when they got married, they started a family and... Uh, but one thing about my grandma, she ate healthy and she took her, care of herself, but she, she had asthma. And she had it pretty bad. Now my grandma having asthma, she, was, uh, she wasn't as healthy as my grandpa. And this asthma really took a toll on her health. And it made 
life very difficult for my grandpa. He would lay at night listening to my grandma just struggle to breathe sometimes, even after all her medication. And, and I was asthmatic. I grew up with asthma as well, and I, I know many of you in this room have as well. And he would lay at night and just listen to her suffer. And, even, and to her, she had just lived with this her whole life. She was used to it. But as the years grew on, the asthma just really started to weaken her immune, her body, as, as, it, as it generally does. And medication wasn't really what it was back then as it is today. And as the story would go, my grandma's, this asthma really started to affect her. She started, uh, came to going to work and things, just things that you would normally do became very difficult for her. And it was just preventing her normal way of life from taking place. In and out of the hospital, it was getting bad. And my grandpa, who was a pastor at this time, who was a pastor, he was caught kneeling at the foot of the bed at nights, begging God to give him her asthma. He would beg God and say, Lord, I know you've given this to her for a reason, but if it be thy will, give it to me. Lord, you've given me health. You've given me strength. You've given me vigor. You've given me all these things in life. God, if it be your will, I would like for my body to take on this asthma. I feel as if I could handle it better than her, if it be your will. And he would pray this prayer every night for, well, he says for a long time. And one day, one day my grandpa woke up and he was wheezing. And my grandma woke up not wheezing. And by wheezing, I mean it's this, well, it's an asthma sign. It's a different kind of breathing. And my grandpa wasn't sure what it was at first. But I don't know anybody who's ever been excited <laughs> to wheeze before, except someone like my grandpa who loved my grandma so much. And... Sure enough, over time, my grandpa went to the doctor, he got checked, and by the doctor, from what the doctor can tell, he had asthma. And days would pass, weeks would pass, and my grandma didn't have her asthma problems anymore. Literally, in one night, God had transferred the asthma from grandma to grandpa. Now, that's a pretty cool story, right? That's an amazing story. How many of you parents have watched your kids with a cough or a cold and just said, Lord, would you give me their cold so that I could sleep tonight? Because <laughs> I could handle it better than my two-year-old, my three-year-old. I've done that. And my kids have never gotten like terribly sick. But just a, a normal cough or a sniffle, and I just it hurts as a parent to see someone going through that. And I've said those prayers before. Man, listening to that story as a kid, man, it's just, wow, God is good and the application my grandpa would always give is there's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. And, you know, I've heard that story quite a few times. And, you know, it's just a story to me. It's a great story. And I absolutely believe it to be true. Because there's eyewitnesses of grandma's parents growing up. She definitely had asthma really bad. And my grandpa's parents growing up, he definitely never had asthma, ever. And to get it in, your, in the mid-30s, after never having it, is very, very rare. 
I believe the story is true, but to me it's still just a, a story. Because for my grandma, it's not just a story. It was an experience. She experienced that. It was a life-altering situation. It wasn't, it's not just a story to my grandma. This changed her life. This was her life. And no matter how much I, I admire the story and I admire my grandpa and his love and his compassion for grandma, it's still just a, a story to me. A story that I never experienced, I never lived through. At this point in Israel's history, many of the men who were here today, who were in this story that Joshua was speaking to, were battle-hardened men. They, at least those who were in their later years, who had now, because they just conquered Israel. They just conquered the promised land, uh, mostly conquered it. They had gone through seasons of war. They were soldiers now. This is Joshua's last charge to Israel before he would eventually pass away. As you turn over to Judges 1, you'll have to now, but you'll see that Joshua passes away. Joshua's last charge, he's charging Israel, and those listening are those that have come through lots of war. They've, through bloodshed, through tears, through hard work, through sweats, they've seen firsthand the might and power of God. Many of these men here, they saw the walls of Jericho come crumbling down. They saw what sin can do through Achan. In just the very next, next battle, the battle of Ai, they saw what sin can do and how much God hated sin. And there may have been people in their 60s or even older who might have even remembered the Red Sea at this time and remembered witnessing the manna falling from the sky and the, and the quail and the water from a rock and literally Pharaoh's army coming through and the waters crashing down. There may have been some people at this point in life who, who remembered these amazing things and possibly even some of the plagues of Egypt, as Joshua even mentions in his charge. <laughs> these are some men, these are some women who've been through a lot. Some of them, for sure. Would these men, would these women who had seen so much, experienced so much in their life, would they, would they turn away from God? I mean, how could you, seeing all of that and knowing who God is? Turn with me to Judges chapter 2. I want to show you something. Judges chapter 2 and verse 6. Judges chapter 2 and look in verse 6. Just a couple of pages over for me. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 6. The Bible says, And when Joshua had let the people go. So Joshua, he's done giving his charge. He's dismissing Israel now. They can go back to their home, to the promised land. When Joshua had let the people go for six, the children of Israel went every man into his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. Those are the elders I'm talking about, some of those that saw all those amazing miracles. And the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Verse 8, And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath, Harris, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Geish. But look at verse 10. 
And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the, the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. One generation. Can you imagine being those children and you, you hear the stories of the Red Sea crossing from eyewitnesses, from Grandpa. Grandpa telling you the story of when the walls went up and the, the water and they came down and, and, and the manna and the quail. Hearing it, reading it from the Bible is amazing, but imagine we're going to get to heaven and actually hear it firsthand from some people who were there, who witnessed it. But there was a problem. You see, those people who experienced it, who witnessed it, they didn't turn away from God. It was the next generation. The next generation, who the Bible says they knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done. You see, they were so close, but all, all those stories they were hearing from their parents, their grandparents, they were just stories to them. They were great stories, they were amazing stories, and they believed those stories, but they were still just stories to them, because they hadn't experienced it. Oh, it altered the course of their parents' and their grandparents' lives. It changed everything for them. But for their, their kids, they didn't experience it. They're just stories. I see the children of Israel going through what, what many uh, parents are going through today. Many of you have been through a lot, especially those that come from third world countries. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have seen the, the mighty hand of God do some wonderful things in your life. You've been through a lot. You've worked hard to get to where you are today. You've seen the mighty hand of God and you've tried to convey this to your children. You've tried to tell your kids all these stories. You want them to ex kind of experience what you've experienced. But sometimes all we know how to do is just give them the stories that have happened to us and hope that's good enough. But we found for Israel that just those stories being passed on, it wasn't, wasn't good enough. We hear our kids say at times, well, when I was, uh, we, sorry, I should say, sometimes our kids will come up to us and they'll say things like, uh, Mom, Dad, I'm tired. You know, they're 12, 13, 14, years old, and they, they do something and you ask them to, hey, can you come over and help me? Oh, I, I'm just, I'm tired. And then what you want to do at this moment is say, son, when I was your age. <laughs> Anyone ever had a conversation that started that way? Kids, kids are rolling their eyes right now in the front row. Ah, when I was your age, you know, I used to walk to school five miles, you know, in knee-deep snow, uphill, both ways. <laughs> I don't know how, but it was both ways, both times. We have these stories and most of our stories are true. I have to say most, because sometimes they're a little exaggerated. But our stories are true. And sometimes the stuff that, and I've heard some of your stories, they're, sometimes they're, just, they're almost unbelievable, the things that you've been through and you've come through. And to you, they're life-altering, and God just brought you to where you are, and you tell these stories to your kids, and they, your kids appreciate the story, but it's still just a story to them. It's not their own experience. 
even if they believe them and try to understand where, where we're coming from, unless they experience it for themselves, there will always just be stories. So the question is, how do we raise our children to love God? And might I suggest to you, one way we could help our children, raise our children to love God, is to, is to prove to our kids that we actually love God. One way that we can help raise our children to love God is to prove to our kids that we actually love God. You say, this sounds too simple, I don't understand. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, is a famous verse we read. The Bible says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served on the, that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a lot of families today and who they wake up on Sunday morning and they're not, the, the family is not sure. They, they're wondering, I wonder, are we going to go to church today? And then there's the other family that wakes up on Sunday morning, and everyone in the house knows we're going to church today. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no questions. If I'm really sick, I'm not going to go to church. But otherwise, if we're healthy, and some of you grew up in homes like that, you woke up on Sunday morning, you knew church was coming. It should be an established fact in our home that we're going to church on Sunday. For myself growing up, Saturday mornings, I was never allowed to make plans and I never did because I grew up knowing every Saturday at 10 o'clock we were at church and we were soul winning. We were knocking on doors. We must learn to prove to our kids that we actually love the Lord. Some ways that we can help prove to our kids that we love God is to have daily devotions with our family. And I know some of us now, our kids are up and they're grown. Maybe some of them are even out of the house. And this kind of stuff is... Uh, you would say too late, but it's not. There's kids here listening. This message is for you as well. Learn to have devotions together as a family. I'm just speaking on behalf of how I grew up with my family, with my parents. I knew when my dad said, I want you to serve God with your life, I knew he meant it because I knew my dad loved God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength. My dad would get us together and have daily devotions with us. He would pray with us as a family. And my dad would sit there, and even as a young kid, he would say, Lord, help Tim to get saved soon. And I used to be questioned about this, but you know what? When the day finally came, when I knew, I knew that I knew that I needed Christ as my Savior, my dad took me aside, and he showed me from the Bible how I could know. And even though I'd heard it many, many times before, I believed that the constant prayers of my dad made that night so easy and so special. How else can we prove to our, to our children, to our families, that we love God? Be active in church. As families, be active. It's becoming more of a thing where uh, there's activities and things happening and parents will come and they'll drop their kids off and then they'll go back home. They want their children to be good kids and they want them to you know, be involved and not be bad people but then their kids are sometimes confused because they're getting dropped off to go to church, but then their parents turn around and, and go home or go somewhere else. Sometimes they have good reasons for it. 
But we need to learn as families to be active in church, to serve the Lord together, to come together. Our children ought not to be confused. They need to know mom and dad believe this too with their hearts. Mom and dad love church. They love God. And it's so much easier for our children to follow a lead. This involves us also living what we talk. As parents, we must learn to not just talk the walk, but walk the walk, right? We need to also we need to learn to walk what we talk, I should say. This also involves listening to godly music throughout the day, letting Christ be known, letting our children know that we we don't just talk about God on Sundays, but Monday and Tuesday we're listening to godly music. And we see, uh, maybe my dad used to also listen to preaching sometimes. Even after church, I would say, Dad, why are we listening to more preaching? And he'd always say, you could never have enough good preaching. And we'd listen. Sometimes it was the same sermon, because this was back in the days when we had cassette tapes. I know you guys don't know what those are, but we had cassette tapes. You couldn't just download music and download sermons, right? You had a cassette tape, and that was the only one you had for a long, long time. And we would just play it over and over again. And I'd memorize these sermons. I should go back and preach one of those. I, I probably can remember a few of them. But we're always listening to godly music, and we're always listening to preaching. And there was never a doubt in my home growing up that my parents loved the Lord. So one way that we can help train the next generation, help train our, and raise our children to love God is, first, first of all, to prove to them that we love God, that it's a part of our DNA, that it's true in our lives. But not just prove to them. Secondly, we must pray for our kids to love God. Pray for our kids to love God each and every day. And I know this is simple, but I need to show you this. Because when this, I, when I, when this hit me, it, it made a big impact in my life. Turn with me real quick to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is the story of Samuel. Samuel would eventually become a high, a high priest. He would become the judge of Israel. But Samuel, at this time, his mother, well, his mother, Hannah, could not have children. So at this point, there is no Samuel. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9 now, this is Hannah speaking now. She's begging God to give her a child. Verse 9, So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now, Eli, the, the priest, sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she, this is Hannah, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give, uh, give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head. Now we've heard this story before, right? Hannah is not able to have children, but she so badly wants to have a child. But she doesn't just want to have a child. Hannah wants a child 
so that that child can serve God. If you notice in this passage here, Hannah is not asking God for two children. Lord, if you give me two children, I'll keep one, and you could have the other. That's not what she's praying. She's not praying, Lord, if you give me a a multitude of children, Lord, I will give you the first one. She only asked for one child and said, Lord, if you just give me one, I'll give them right back to you. Now, we know the story. God would bless her with other children. But Hannah, her prayer in life was that, Lord, would you, would you use my child any way that you see fit? Hannah was... Hannah loved Samuel. She would visit Samuel. And today we live in a day and age where it's, it's difficult for parents the ministry life is difficult, and not, I'm not even talking about just ministry life. There are a multitude of ways for our children to serve God. Many of our children are faithful in their work and where they work, and where they, the places that they work, and they are faithful to church. They are faithful to God. We as parents must not forget that our children belong to God. God gave them to us. And what greater privilege in, their, in life for our children to give their lives to the Lord. Sometimes I hear people, uh, my dad would say this often, there would be people who would come and they would come up to him and say, uh, I would do anything for my child. And then my dad would say things, and uh, he was a little harsher, a little more brash than I was. He would say, do you pray for your child every day to, to love the Lord? Oh, well, I pray for my child every day. Do you pray for your child every day to love the Lord? Oh, well, if you, if you really, really loved your child with all your heart, with all your soul, that would be something that you would do every single day. God, would you help my children to love you? That's the greatest accomplishment for any parent, is to watch their children grow up and love God with all their hearts. doesn't mean they have to be called to be a missionary or a pastor, though that would be a great honor. But no matter where they are in life, as long as they're giving their life to you and doing their utmost to serve you, Lord, that to me would be the greatest honor. First of all, some things we can pray for is pray that God will will save them at a young age. We could also pray that God would use them in any way that he wants. We could pray for God, pray for our children that God will give them the spouse that they need. I do that now with Titus and Leah. He doesn't quite understand it right now, but I know one day he's going to say, he's going to ask me, why am I praying for his future wife? But every night when we get together, we pray. I say, Lord, please help Titus and Leah. Help them to marry the people that you'd have for them to marry. And I, I try to start now, and it's been ingrained in me because my mom and dad would pray that with us as before we would go to bed at night. And you know what? I think... Hearing, I think those prayers being said every day led me to marrying the perfect one for me. And don't you, we want the same for our children. Pray, start now. Pray for wisdom to raise your family. God, give me wisdom. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of wisdom. I, I, I try to read, I try to study the Bible, but I know I, when it comes to the top of wisdom and knowing it all, I feel so far down. Lord, I need help. 
I don't know how to handle all the situations in life. God, give me wisdom to raise my family for you. And this is something I encourage you to pray as well. Even if your kids are already grown, we still need wisdom for our children. Pray that you will be a godly example to your children. I think one of, one of, uh, one of the biggest hindrances of children leaving the faith is they don't really have that solid godly example in their life. Sometimes maybe mom and dad, maybe it's not just them, maybe it's something that happens in the church. But pray and say, Lord, help me and my wife, help us, help me to be the example I need to be. Maybe not even to your children, but maybe to your coworkers, to people at work, to people here in church. God, would you use me to be an example to others around me? Pray that God would allow us to be that godly example. So how do we raise our children? How do we raise our families to love the Lord? First, we have to prove to our kids that we love God. Prove to our kids that God is important to us. Secondly, pray for our kids to love God. And even go as far as to do what Hannah did and say, Lord, would you use my child in any way you see fit? And I won't get in the way. I'll encourage them to live for you. And that comes to our third point here which is we must prepare our kids to love God. We must prepare our children to love God. We'll just look at this last passage here. If you turn with me to Joshua chapter 22, we come to a very interesting story here. And I touched on this briefly in teen class on Wednesday. So if you weren't there, then you'll get a glimpse of it here today. Joshua 22 and Joshua chapter 22, let me summarize what's happening here. So the children of Israel now, they're being told that they can go back and, and live in the land that they just conquered. They, they can go back. And of the 12 tribes, there's three tribes that live on the other side of the Jordan River. And I, I meant to give you a map to show you, but it's okay. You have uh, the map of Israel. And the Jordan River runs along the side. And there are three tribes that live on the other side of the Jordan. Well, these three tribes, as they crossed over the Jordan, they got together and they decided, and they said, you know what, we need to, we need to make sure that our children don't forget who, we, who they are. We have this river that's, that's separating us from the rest of Israel, and they may think that we're not a part of Israel. We want to make sure that our children remember who they are and where they fit in the grand scheme of God's plan. So what they did is they built this altar. An altar. Now when they built this altar, the other nine tribes thought that they were building an altar to a false god. And they literally got their army together and they're ready to go to war against them. And that you could read about that in this whole chapter. But look here in verse 25. Joshua 22, look at verse 25. The Bible says, For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben and children of Gad. Those are two of the tribes. The other tribe is the half-tribe of Manasseh. So Reuben and Gad says, Ye have no part in the Lord, so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. 
Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us, that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. Now you could read the rest of the chapter on your own. But here's a tribe, a group of people, a bunch of parents who got together and said, look, we have this border between us. We want our children to remember who they are in the Lord. Remember that they are part of God's chosen people. We are part of Israel. We are Hebrews. And they built an altar to remind their children who they were. To encourage their children to follow God. And we as parents, lastly here, must prepare our children to love God. And it's better if you start at a young age. The younger you start, the better chance they have of giving their lives to the Lord. But no matter what age they are in life, there are things that we can do to to encourage our children to love the Lord. And we've talked about this briefly, but we, are to, we should encourage them to participate in church activities. Anything that revolves around the Lord and spiritual things, we should consider encouraging them to participate in them. We should also encourage them to serve God with their life. Encourage them and say, I'm not making you do anything, but would you consider when you, when you as, a, as a parent to tell your children and say, pray every morning, read your Bible, and when you pray, ask God, God, would you use me? Would you use me to serve you? Encourage, pr- encourage your child to serve God. Even when it comes to church, encourage them to be a part of ministries. And I'm so blessed in this church, we have, we have lots of young people who are involved Encourage your children to love the Lord. Encourage them to stay involved in church activities. Encourage them to consider Bible college, even just for one year. And I believe very firmly that every kid, even if uh, their calling in life doesn't necessarily revolve around full-time ministry, but to get one year of Bible education in will do wonders. We, even if it's online throughout the course of some time, but there's nothing like coming physically to a college for at least one year, to a Bible college, and getting some training, learning, and, in, and uh, learning about the doctrines of the Bible. A lot of times kids grow up and they, they just believe what they're told, but then when somebody actually questions their faith, questions their belief, and someone says, well, why do you believe that? And their answer is, well, that's what my church tells me to do. Oh, that's what my, my mom tells me, that's what I should believe. But wouldn't it be better if someone knew in their hearts and they, their answer was, well, I, I just believe what the Bible says. Let me, let me show you. And to let your kids, and to encourage your kids to, to spend at least a year in Bible college to learn the fundamentals of God and His Word. Not just that, but it spiritually encourages and just encourage our children to give their life to God. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. 
And the context of this passage is, of course, uh, the spiritual children of, the, of his time. John talking about no greater joy than my children. And he's talking about those spiritual children that he's had, that he's been able to nurture and, and lead to the Lord. But the same principle applies to us today. Would you, could you say that I would have no greater joy in life than to see my children serve God? And if you can say that with all your hearts, then we need to do our best to encourage our children to love God. And that starts with us and our life. It seems to me that most parents are content with their children being good people. But how many parents really want their children to serve God wholly with their life? Most of the time, parents want their kids to go to a youth group to learn to be good people or to learn to behave better. But how many parents actually want their kids to listen to their pastor about surrender and full-time service? In Joshua's day, Israel had a difficult time passing on the love and fear of God to their kids. And we had that same struggle today, thousands of years later. If we want to save the next generation, we must teach them to serve God. And the only way to do that is to prove to our kids that God is truly important to us. To pray for them every single day and to prepare them to love God. We as parents, we need to stop just telling our kids the stories of the past and start helping them develop their own stories and their own love for our great God and Savior. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.